right now we have to bring those young people in and engage with them, invite them to participate. If we don't do that, I don't think the future looks very bright. We really have to buckle down and focus on what we're going to do for that next generation. We have to hear from our people and give them the opportunity to speak up so that they can share with us what their concerns are, what they want from diocese, what they think the Catholic Church should be in the future. We, we definitely have to have a spirit of collaboration on how to engage with our people, where the needs are, and, and hear those concerns. Hi, everyone. I'm John Kaneen, and this is Fundraising TLC. I can't wait for you to hear this two-part conversation with Sheila McGurl, Director of Development at the Catholic Diocese of Wilmington in Delaware. In part one of our conversation, Sheila and I dive into the value of leading with faith and her vision for the future. Let's get into it. Welcome, Sheila. We're, we're thrilled to have you. I'm thrilled to be here, John. Thanks. It's good seeing you again. We last saw each other out there in, in Disneyland at the ICSC. It was a, yeah, it was a fun, best it was conference. A I love that conference. Yeah, it was a great. It was a great conference. Good, good place for it too. Well, we're glad to have you on the podcast, and let, let's get started. So, you're the director of development for the diocese of of Wilmington. Tell us a little bit about the diocese, your role there, and maybe even how you came to to have that position. Tell us a little bit about you know your career journey as well. Sure. So. The Diocese of Wilmington is uh, 56 parishes strong. We have 30 diocesan parish and private schools, and we span the entire state of Delaware and the eastern shore of Maryland, nine counties in Maryland. And how did I come to be in the Diocese of Wilmington? It's a long story, John, but I think it's important, so I'll summarize it. I'm going to go back to high school, John. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go. High school. I went to school to become a a court stenographer, not your traditional education track. And I did that for a couple of years, then got married and became a stay-at-home mom and was a stay-at-home mom for 13 years, had three children at at that point. And my husband had gotten fired from his job. My son, Kieran, who's a fragile diabetic, ended up in, in the hospital. And I was working three jobs at that point after he lost his job, three part-time jobs just to fill the gap until he got something else. So when my son got really ill with his diabetes, we decided that my husband would room room in with him. And at that point, I got a phone call. They always come at 3 o'clock in the morning, (laughs) right? Mrs. McGurl, your son Kieran is fine, but your husband was brought to the ICU. So it turns out Kevin had a very high fever. He was paralyzed, couldn't move anything, couldn't speak. And long story short, he ended up being in the hospital for four months. At the end of that, we found out he had a a very bad case of multiple sclerosis. It just came on fast and furious. And we found out at that point that he was unable to work. So as many of us do in time of crisis, I turned to church. And my pastor at the time, Father Hughes, he's now the Vicar General in the Diocese of Camden, put me in touch with Youth and Young Adult Ministry. They had a position. It was a part-time position, but the beauty of it was they offered me benefits. Mm -hmm. And then I worked another part-time job in retail, and I did some telemarketing for fundraising in the state of New Jersey. And that kind of began my work in ministry in diocese. That started a 14-year journey with the Diocese of Camden. 
And I was very, very fortunate. I went from youth, young adults, and campus ministry. So my children got involved in that ministry. I learned every piece of it and the, the impact that it has on our young people. And then I moved to Family Life, Respect Life. It was a full-time position. So there I was working more in family ministry, creating retreats, anniversary celebrations, marriage celebrations. And then I was at the point where the older guy was heading to, to high school. And I needed more money if I was going to put him into Catholic school. So I went to the business side of the house, and I worked for the Catholic Star Herald newspaper selling advertising. And so my journey kind of took me through this path, I believe, for a reason, to bring me where I am now. I worked on the business side of the house, and the, the Catholic Star Herald is a great evangelization tool. And it gave me kind of an overview of what diocese is all about and the impact of all of the ministries of the diocese. And then I got very friendly with Jim Lanahan. He was the director of development at the time. And he and I collaborated and started the Catholic Business Network of South Jersey. A little selfish on my part. I was looking for a way to gather Catholic business people and sell them advertising. And Jim was looking at it from a development perspective. And our two minds came together and we created a very successful became a nonprofit. We raised money for Catholic education. But the core was a ministry to business people, mm -hmm. to bring people in that could collaborate on their faith journey as well as working in the corporate world and how to balance that. And it ended up being a wonderful, wonderful journey. Jim and I got friendly, and he offered me, at the time I went back to school because, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't have a, a traditional college education. So with four kids and working for Jim Lanahan, I pursued my degree, and, and that started my journey in development. After that, I went to the Miraculous Metal Shrine in Philadelphia, working for the Vincentians, and that gave me a broader view of all of the many facets of fundraising and direct response and how to best facilitate that, reaching donors, acquisition, and then this beautiful position came up in the Diocese of Wilmington. I was about three years with the Miraculous Metal Shrine and our Vincentians and still connected to them, still volunteer with them. But this position came up in the Diocese of Wilmington and I thought, what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity, you know. And I will tell you, once you work for one diocese, you only work for one diocese. They're very, <laughs> very different. So it kind of broadened the work that I was able to do and some of the skills that I learned with the wonderful Vincentians of the Eastern Province, I was able to bring here and and I believe it's a good fit. Hopefully other people think the same. That's a great story. And, and I'll confess to knowing a little bit about that in advance from our time together. And so I was glad to get the chance to hear it again. And you mentioned Jim Lenahan and Jim Lenahan is, uh, deserves a little extra attention. A, a, a terrific fella and, and just a generous soul and a good person. And, and I owe my career to him. I really do. Yeah, it's, uh, which, which is remarkable. I, I knew him to be a wonderful guy before I heard that story, and I only I only feel even even better about my friendship with him, knowing your story with him. He's, he's just a terrific guy. So, so yeah, so here we are at the Diocese of Wilmington. What What's a day in the life look like? What are you responsible for? What kind of work are you doing? Or or what challenges are you facing? I mean, you could, you could jump in anywhere you, anywhere you like, but tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of the work. Yeah, the, the best way to describe the work that we do in development for the diocese is we're creating, strengthening, and continuing to grow a culture of philanthropy within the diocese. So what does that look like? So we support Catholic education. 
So I, I'm currently going out on school visits with the superintendent's office, and I analyze their advancement efforts and, and help to tweak them, offer some insight, consult with them. I serve on search committees for advancement directors, and we're also responsible for raising money for the scholarship fund and the disbursement of that. So it's wonderful to be on both sides of that because as I prepare the campaign, I have the stories to go along with it. So that's one piece of it. Parish services, if a parish is looking to have a capital campaign that's, say, less a million dollars or less, I will go out and consult with the parish team and we will run that ourselves. The same with increased offertory and and stewardship. I will go in and, and help the parishes with that, and we'll develop a team together. Um, since I came on board, we're trying to strengthen the planned giving piece of things mm-hmm. here in the diocese, and so we're launching a planned giving program on the parish level. When the parish is strong, the diocese is strong, so we have to you know, provide those services. So I have my first pilot parish to, to launch the, the planned giving piece. And also for parishes, offering to come out and kind of talk to their finance councils to get that message of building that culture of philanthropy and take the tack that fundraising is ministry, you know. On the diocesan level, I mentioned we we have the campaign for scholarships. We also do the annual appeal. We rebranded that when I came on board. It's called the Faith and Charity Catholic Appeal. And it's been you know, very successful. We're keeping that upward trend. Thanks be to God. And, you know, working on uh, stewarding the donors, growing the plan giving on the diocesan level as well, and cultivating a major gift program. You know, every day is a new journey. We have new things coming up all the time. We also are charged with raising fund development and public relations for Catholic charities. So um, with that, we're implementing some acquisition fee, all exciting stuff. It's just well, I, I, I get exhausted hearing it, Sheila. You've got like 11 different uh, annual appeal, major gifts, capital campaign, plan giving, throw in a little public relations, you know, remarkable in terms of just really the breadth of services that you have to provide and, and the, you know, the pockets of expertise you have to have. I mean, that's a, that's extraordinary. You must have a huge, team, a huge team, right? You have a huge team of 30 no, people. We don't. No, <laughs> that's what I was going to say, though. I'm fortunate that those pieces that I have to work with are coming in in a, a manageable way. Mm-hmm. And then when we realize success, I'm hoping to grow the staff. Yeah. I have one professional fundraiser that reports in that assists with fund development for Catholic charities and the public relations piece. But other than, and, and she and I collaborate, I'm just very, very lucky to have her, Andrea. And then, you know, we have a great team of data people and I have an assistant that's worth her weight in diamonds. <laughs> very fortunate, but I would hope to, in the future, grow our team. Yeah, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you will. What are you seeing out there? I mean, you're on the front lines, you know, with the parishes and with the with the donors. What are you seeing out there in terms of sort of the mood of 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 Catholic donors? Maybe from a sort of a kind of a macro perspective. You know, are, are people still giving to the church? If people stop giving to the church, is it harder to encourage them to support their parish or the diocese? Anything you have around, you know, kind of that trend feel. Yep. I can only speak to the trends that I'm experiencing here in the Diocese of Wilmington right now, because you and I both know stories of other dioceses and and ministries. But we are realizing great success in this diocese. Post-pandemic, we're seeing a wonderful increase in the number of donors that we have. People are excited for the ministry. 
And you know, when I speak to donors, the biggest concern, and I'm, I know this isn't unique, is how are we going to carry our faith forward in the future because they worry about the young people. Mm -hmm. Right now we have an older demographic and they are engaged givers. They learned this from childhood, how to participate in church this way, but they're most worried about what's going to happen with our young people. And so, you know, we're looking for ways to accentuate that. Our, our youth and young adult ministries is very vibrant, and we're hoping to bring those types of things to the forefront. So, you know, that's, that's basically what I see here. I believe it's healthy. We've experienced some growth, and hopefully that trend will continue. Where do, you, where do you see it going? If you were to, you know, this is always a hard question to, to answer, but the nice thing about this question is there's no right answer, right? So what do you think five years from now, 10 years from now, we're sitting here having this conversation. What do you think, you know, diocesan fundraising or Catholic fundraising looks and feels like? Any sense of, of if you had to make a guess? If I had to make a guess, John, I would say we have to work right now worry about how we're going to engage them in different ways, our, our uh, demographic. We have to bring those young people in and engage with them and have invite them to participate. If we don't do that, I don't think the future looks very bright, you know, but I would say we, we really have to buckle down and focus on what we're going to do for that next generation. We have to hear from our people and give them the opportunity to speak up so that they can share with us what their concerns are, what they want from diocese, what they think the Catholic Church should be in the future. We, we definitely have to have a spirit of collaboration. And we're very fortunate. Our, we have a new bishop here, and he's engaging in those practices right now and coming up with a plan on how to engage with our people, where the needs are, whether it's parish development, ministry development, and, and hear those concerns and, and grow them, you know? So I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I've been, I've worked with the church for 27 years or so now, and and uh, and I've certainly noticed, you know, significant changes in terms of engagement, two-way communication, and, and you know, reaching out to the lady and involving the lady in decision-making, and, and all of which, of course, are critical. And, and of course, the young people might, I have three kids who are going to be making their confirmation in a month or two, and, and, my, and my son, teenage sons, right? My son came back. They, they had their meeting with the priest uh, Saturday where they had to go over specific questions. And, and the, the priest asked my son, you know, who will be present, you know, at your confirmation? And my son, who was pretty nervous about the whole thing, says, the Pope? Question mark. And, and the, the priest goes, well, not, not the Pope. The Pope won't be present. <laughs> the, the correct answer was the Holy Spirit, you know, and his, and his two sisters happened to hear this sort of outrageous laughter coming from the room with, with my son Quinn and the priest. And, and of course, found out that my son gave the answer that the Pope was coming. So the, the youth are engaged. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much they're learning. He's got at least right, my boys. Yeah. Got, he's got some. He's got some more learning to do. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I certainly think engaging the youth and in, in, in two way communication and what have you are, are extraordinarily important. Um, major gifts. Uh, yeah, I know you have a lot of experience with major gift fundraising. I know you're having some success there in the diocese. What do you think motivates someone to make uh, a major gift to the diocese or to the church? You know, if you had to kind you of, you know, John, in my mind, it goes to the, to what I said earlier about building that culture of philanthropy. I think in diocese, sometimes the emphasis is often put on transaction, you know? And there's a spirituality to fundraising. And 
We all have responsibility for building up the culture of philanthropy. So I think treating it like ministry, leading with the mission and the vision, and inviting participation. We have, you know, age old, what's the biggest reason why people don't contribute? They were never asked. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask in the right way. So I think it, it's, you know, cultivating them, engagement. And the reason why they give is because you're sparking something in them. You know, they, 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 they want to see that mission move forward. And if they don't have a passion for your mission, they're not going to give, you know? So that, that's what I would say. Really tell your story, tell your story really well. Talk about the impact. And people want to see that. They want to see the church alive in the, their communities, and then they'll give. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a great answer. Yeah, I've always said that I mean all fundraising is personal. All giving is personal and 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 major giving especially. When you hear the stories of why a major giver made that gift, nine out of ten times they're so deeply personal about how the ministry touched them or the impact the ministry had on them, or you know, whether it's the church or other nonprofit, it is so rarely, you know, the recognition, the tax savings you know, this beautiful brochure that I received, right. it's, it's not those things. I mean, they're, they're factors at some level, but it's personal. It's being impacted, you know, by the ministry or, or motivated or inspired or, or moved. And, and I know our church does that well. I just think that we need to continue to, to put those asks out there, right? Invite people to, to, and give them pathways, give them avenues to give and, and give them ways to feel great about their giving. Of course. Yeah, I think that's critical. Let's talk about the appeal a little bit, if we can. Obviously, the Lucan's company is 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 very heavily focused on direct response fundraising. Not to say that we don't love major gifts and capital campaigns. I certainly do. We spent a lot of time looking at, you know, direct response techniques and large donor files and you know mail response rates and emails and all of these sort of things. If you would, could you tell us a little bit about your the direct response elements? I I would suspect principally centered around your your appeal, but Tell us a little bit about how you raise money using letters, and email, and text, in pew. Anything you want to share on that would be great. Sure. So, you know, John, to go back to what we were saying about major gifts um, and cultivating those donors, we have to have our finger on the pulse and know what the stories are that our donors want to hear that they're most engaged with. So first we come up with those cases of what we're going to really shine a light on in our campaign. All right. Mm -hmm. So Faith and Charity Catholic Appeal our first theme was walking by faith. And, you know, we pulled together the stories. And our direct response piece, we, we changed a lot. You know, we made it visually compelling and, and, you know, pretty and the pretty package and everything and the impact. You have to show impact. But one of the things I noticed when I first came on board that you're well aware of, John, was that there was in our, our database, you know, we have to look at the data and use it effectively. And when I looked at the database, I noticed that there was about 30,000 donors that had not been solicited or, or made an ask of since 2008. However, they stayed on the active roles on the parishes. So the parishes were renewing these names every year, and we were never asking. And there were no notes left behind, no, no reason for it that I could see that would keep me from trying to re-engage with them. So what I did was I sent the data out for modeling, and it came back with about 16,000 donors that came to the top two tiers of that modeling engagement, and we decided to try to re-engage them. And, you know, our segmentation had a different 
approach, maybe a different paragraph in the letter for those specific donors. And we had huge success with that. We were able to reactivate about, uh, I think it was like 3,000 donors um, to give to us from, from that size. So it was exciting. And we lifted the appeal at the same time. Those donors might not have given at a very high level, but we reactivated them. Something we did engaged them again, and now we can cultivate those relationships going forward. So that was probably the biggest thing we did with our direct mail response. We also incorporated email this past campaign. So we modeled an email after what the direct mail piece would look like, and we sent that out to everyone in our database that we had an email address for. And our dialogue newspaper has an electronic newsletter, and Angelus, and we would send that out to the donors that we have email addresses for to kind of keep them in the loop. We saw wonderful success with it, you know. This year, we're going to do a little bit more with social media engagement. Mm -hmm. Not that social media, we expect to bring in a great deal of money, but we want to get that story out there and keep that engagement going and, and let them see and hear the components of what the Catholic Church is doing lately in all of the areas that they choose to engage in, you know. And then this year, we're also incorporating pearls, personalized URLs. Mm -hmm. with our QR codes. So if someone prefers to give by, you know, engaging with the QR code, it will come up to their own page that will say, hello, Mr. Smith, welcome to the Diocese of Wilmington. I haven't worked on the verbiage of that yet, but we're preparing to do all that as well. So I think it's kind of utilizing everything that's out there. Not that we're going to, we hope to see a huge return, but we hope that the engagement, when, when those younger people are ready to engage with us and ready to and participate with us, that we'll be right where they are to meet them where they are. Well, I think that that's remarkable on several levels, and I want to dive into a few specific areas. But I think the investment in engagement, which is really what you're making, right, an investment in engagement uh, is critical, right? It's critical not only for your young donors, but for, for donors at all levels, right? And, and I think often, and driven by necessity, you know, diocese and some of our clients, you know, you're always looking at ROI. Oh, we spent X amount of dollars on social media and we got this return. Or we spent X amount of dollars on this newsletter and we got this return. But what's extraordinarily difficult to measure is that the the yield on engagement, right? You know, is that mm -hmm. building that story and building that narrative and increasing engagement over time, you know, will eventually start to yield more significant results. And and it takes some faith to, to make those investments. Um, but it's but it's critical. You've got to continue to stay front of mind. You have to build the brand, so to speak. You have to you know stay current. So so I think you're making some smart choices there. Uh, Sheila, did you say of those sixteen thousand names that you decided to reengage that you were able to receive upwards of around three thousand of them to give? Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. really. I'm pleased with it. So and that was to the top two tiers in, in the modeling exercise that we did. So now we're going to mail everyone. You should, yeah, I think absolutely. so, you know? Yeah. I mean, these are people that are engaged in their parishes. They're staying on the parish list as active parishioners. Mm -hmm. Why not, you know? Right, right. And another thing that we did, John, you know, and working for the Catholic Church, it's key. You know, you always lead with your mission, right? Mm -hmm. So part of the response was, we asked for prayer intentions, and that hadn't been done before here. Mm -hmm. But one one of the campaigns that we ran, the Share in the Spirit campaign for tuition assistance, we added a prayer response 
to that. And we told the story of one family that we were able to help that had a, a very moving and impactful story. The amount of prayer intentions that we got back for this family, and we carry that through with our, our Circle of Honor event. If someone can't make it, we encourage them to send us their prayer intentions and Bishop prays over them. So I think that you have to really lead with the faith, all of the mechanics of the direct response you have to have and all of the transactional pieces, but you really have to lead with that ministry and bring the faith into everything that you do and drive the mission. Yeah, which is wonderful, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm glad you, you you sort of punctuated that. You know, certainly I have a tendency, and sometimes in these podcasts or what have you, you know, you talk about the mechanics, you talk about the process, you talk about the structure, we go to conferences, we hear about techniques, but at the end of the day, it's the work that drives the philanthropy, the work of the organization, right? right? You know, and the impact and the and and faith and and in our hopes and dreams for the future, that's what drives it, and all of us that that play in the tactics and technique space, we serve that mission, right? That's really right. what we do. We serve the, We serve that mission with all of our best practices and our percentages and our spreadsheets. And and, and so thank you for well, making it. You can't that have point. one without the other, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's no sense having us if, if we don't have the, the folks that do the great work and, 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 and serve the communities that, that we care about. So, you know, I, I appreciate you making that point. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm also thrilled. I want to you know point out, you know, the, the multi-channel effort, you know, you mentioned email and you mentioned the newsletter that that's attached to your newspaper. And, and these are all critical efforts as well. You know, as you and I have spoken many times, uh, you're doing a lot of things very right there, Sheila. You're, I think your unorthodox career has led you to have a, a very broad knowledge and, and a lot of courage to just do and try things that are having an impact for the diocese. So I, I know you're getting great results. What's one thing you're not doing that you'd like to get to? You know, John, I'd like to get out there more. You know, as mm. you can see, we have a lot of moving pieces in the office. But I'd like to get out into the parishes and into the parish communities and perhaps understand the different, every parish has its own culture. And when I first came on board, I made sure I visited every parish, but that was pretty much a meeting with the pastor and the administrator. I'd like to get involved in more um, parish activities, see our ministries in action a little bit more. And that's on the agenda going forward. I'm very fortunate. I mentioned the Catholic schools me into their team that goes out and evaluates schools every three years. So I'm actually on the agenda to evaluate the culture of philanthropy, which is big, and the advancement efforts. So maybe more of that, seeing our ministries in action. I have the heart of ministry, you know, mm -hmm. and the whole fundraising thing. I, I try to remind everybody and get the message out there. It's a ministry. Let's collaborate in the way of the ministry. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fundraising TLC with the Lucans Company. We're excited to share part two with you next Monday. In the meantime, get more information at fundraisingtlc.com and be sure to subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.